Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome. We, we ain't afraid of no ghosts. This is your number one podcast for ghoulies and ghosties and long-legged beasties. Bringing you everything you need to know about things that go bump in the night and interviewing the personalities behind them. Make sure your doors and windows are locked. Now, here are your hosts, your ghost hosts, Scott and Julie. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Paranormal Project. Hi, Julie. How are you doing? I'm good, Scott. How are you? I'm doing great. Just got back on Sunday night from the Paris Icon, mm-hmm. uh, which if anybody hasn't been, it's a great, it was really a good event. Ohio State Reformatory is on my list of places to investigate. They let you out, huh? <laughs> Surprisingly, yeah, they Surprisingly, did. Surprisingly, they let you out. <laughs> Actually, they had to warn us. Don't shut the don't shut the cell doors because it takes hours to figure out how to unlock them. Oh no! <laughs> you have to tell you me. You weren't curious at all. I'm surprised. <laughs> but it was interesting because they had all of the uh, the vendors lined up in the cell block. Some, most of them, or a lot of them, mm-hmm. and so some of the readers, like this woman Dana, from, you know, the Solstice Sisters, yes, well, they were yes. there, and they did their. Uh, treatments and their mediumship in the cell because it was oh, able to wow. get behind the table and in the cell and it was perfect for them. They had privacy. Amazing. So it was wow. really, really, really great. Yeah. So I need to tell you about our guest tonight, Julie. Um, mm-hmm. Our guest is a cryptozoology researcher and has spent 25 years researching the paranormal and cryptozoology fields. And this is great because we haven't had a lot of this on the show. She is um, currently the lead investigator for the Michigan chapter of the North American Dogman Project and runs the Paranormal Investigation Team of Michigan Center for Unexplained Events and Phenomenon. Which covers about everything. It's weird. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome (laughs) to the show, Shatan Noir. Hello there. How are you? Hi. How are you guys doing? Good, Shatan. How are you? I am doing great. Um, spent the day gardening. So uh, if I cough a couple of times, it's not COVID, it's pollen. So <laughs> you're in good company, let me tell you, because yeah. coughing yes. for weeks, it seems like. Uh, so you were in Michigan last yeah. year, right? And I think that's Julie and I were there. And that was the first time we'd seen you speak um, was in Michigan at the uh, Michigan um, 
whatever it's called. The, 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 my Paracon, yep. Paracon. My the big Paracon, one yep. up in Sault Ste. Marie, yes. The big one in Sault Ste. Marie. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. So it's really great to have you on the show. How did you get involved with all of this? Oh, well, I get asked that question quite a bit, and it all goes back to my childhood. And with cryptozoology, my interest started in it when one particular summer, and I can't remember if I was eight or nine, um, my family, like a lot of uh, Midwestern families, liked to go camping for our vacation. So this particular summer, the, my family had chosen a campground, and I believe it was called Crystal Lake Campground, because the lake there was crystal clear, beautiful, clear water. It was a very nice campground. But one of the odd, peculiar things about this Michigan campground was they had a six-foot alligator in a large dog kennel living there on the property right outside of like the gift shop or the, the commissary store. And it had its own little cement pond. And, you know, they would tell the kids, oh yeah, we caught that in the lake out there. You better, better listen to your parents. You better behave. And <laughs> so nine-year-old me was not going swimming that summer, was not going fishing that summer. Don't you even talk about me going out in the rowboat or out on the pier or dock or anything like that. Because if there's one of them, there's more. Right. And it was that particular summer that one weekend that we were staying there, they thought that for family movie night, a great combination of films to show with young children in the audience was the Patterson Gimlin film and The Legend of Boggy Creek. Oh. So being. <laughs> Fun a night young, for all. <laughs> yep, being young child. Sleep in those tents, kitties. <laughs> uh, well, we had a truck camper at the time. And after watching both, sitting there watching wide-eyed both of these movies, I spent the next 45 minutes hiding in the women's bathroom because I knew for sure that if I walked to our, my camper, one of those Bigfoots, was going to come and grab me and take off with me in the woods, and that would be that. So up until then, I really, you know, every great once in a while, there would be a program about Atlantis or UFO or Bigfoot. This was, you know, 30-some years ago. And so this was very eye-opening to me as a child. And so these two older women were kind enough to escort me back to our truck camper. And after that, it was, what can I get my hands on to read to find out more about this? And so back then they had these little, um, well, they had these books that one chapter, you know, each chapter would be a different high strangeness, you know, chapter like UFOs or Bigfoot or the Loch Ness Monster or Atlantis. Um, and I would read them and sometimes I would end up with like, you know, two or three of the same book, um, just hoping that there'd be a little bit different information in it, you know, um, and I would read them cover to cover. And then um, I started getting a, a subscription to Fate magazine. So that's, you know, where it all kind of starts from. And then 
when I was a child and even coming into my, uh, you know, my adult years, I've always had um, experiences with the paranormal and have, you know, had no questions in my mind that there is life after death and we just don't understand the extent of what that reality is. Right. So that has also been a, another formative, you know, piece of um, my background of just looking for the, 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 you know, answers to the questions that I have and realizing that we probably will never know all that information, at least on this side of existence. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I don't think anybody has, you know, I'm a medium and I get messages, but they don't ever tell me this is what it looks like. And this is what happens when you get there. It's, you know, we have to take our own journey, you know, and right. so it's really fascinating, you know, how, how all of that plays out, but we don't know. We just don't know. And so I have, I have know. a question for you being a, a psychic medium okay. and I've, I've been with, or I've been noticing since I would say March. Now we have Cardinals here in Michigan, but I am seeing Cardinals all the time. They are showing up, not just at my house, but like if I'm walking out of a store, I'll see Cardinals. If I'm at a friend's house, I will see Cardinals in their trees. When I got home this evening from having, uh, I took my cousin out to dinner from uh, helping me garden all day. Sitting right out in the open in a shrub was a cardinal. Hmm. So most people will say that's a loved one trying to make contact with you. So what what is your opinion on that? Do cardinals well, represent anything special to you? I mean, they. it's funny because they do show up. I mean, people will say they'll get signs from cardinals or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you know, the other side of it is they're just cardinals that just happen to be showing up and you're <laughs> seeing them. You know what I mean? It's, it, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's really difficult to say, but sometimes, you know, they do show up that way. But I'd like to think <clears throat> there's some sort of significance to that. You know, um, there's a significance to the cardinal with the person who's on the other side. Maybe they liked cardinals. Maybe they, you know, had a bird feeder out in the cardinals. You know what I mean? It could right. be anything like that, and that's why they send a cardinal. I don't know if it's just a cardinal for the sake of being a cardinal. What What do you think, Julie? You get. Yeah, I, I know that um, it is folklore and legend that a cardinal will be um, bringing a message from a loved one. However, I honestly don't think that that's always the case. As Scott says, sometimes a bird is just a bird, a mm-hmm. cardinal. It's just a cardinal. And the other thing is, this is spring. um, And at my condo, um, I'm just outside of the city. So it's very suburban. We have lots of trees and stuff. And there have been cardinals um, everywhere this spring. Um, So I see them all the time, along with some robins. So I would honestly, I mean, I'm not saying no, that it is not. It's quite possible. My suggestion is to look for other signs. Okay. Look for signs from someone that maybe you have. Is there someone that you've been thinking of lately, even before you saw the Cardinals, that you've had in your mind? 
so my my uncle on my dad's side passed back in October, and he really liked birds. He used to keep pig, uh, pigeons, and you know, but pigeons and doves, you kind of you know, they blend yeah. in. You don't really notice them, but the cardinal, it's so nope. bright red, and yeah. like I said, since March, I have really started to notice them more and more, and yeah. just out of the out of place like the one that i saw tonight i walked up to within five feet of where it was sitting in the shrub because i wanted to talk to it and get you know a close-up picture of it and i got the pictures and as i started to have a conversation with it asking it what do you want it looked at me and kind of like you know just acknowledged me and then it hopped to another branch and then another branch looked back at me and then it flew off and it was like Okay, apparently you're not ready to talk yet. You know, you're you're not ready to yeah. discuss with me what exactly you want from me. You obviously want my attention, but um, you know, I suggest I would suggest when you're in your home to ask those questions. You don't necessarily need to see the cardinal. Basically, ask the question. You know, Uncle, whatever his name was, um, are you trying to send a message to me? Um, you know, just outright speak it, voice it and okay. see what happens. Um, because, you know, like they say, sometimes a cardinal is just a cardinal, but you don't know. And if Heath is thinking possibly that that would be a sign to you, it is quite possible it is. So I would never rule anything out, but I think I would take the next step and at home voice the question and ask okay. out loud. Okay. Yeah. And, and that's what I was going to say, too. If you had an aunt or an uncle who passed and they were really into birds, that might be an appropriate sign. You yeah, know? that was that was him, so, so. You know, that sort of lends a little more credibility to it. But, you right. know, again, how do you really know unless you. Right. You know what I mean? If you hadn't told me and we had a reading and I said, oh, I have an uncle here and he says he sends birds to you. That would have been the indicator. Do you know what I mean? Right. But we just threw that one out the window. Now I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> now I know. So, yeah, so you know. Right. I want to know. I want to know if Dogman is real. I was just, you must be psychic. I was just going to say, I read a very small blurb on um, Dogman, but I really need to hear it from your voice. Tell me about Dogman. Yes. So the interesting thing about Dogman is in today's cryptozoology you know field we get just as many reports of dogman as we do bigfoot because there's a bigger knowledge base now 50 years ago if you if somebody said well i've seen bigfoot everybody thought that there was only one bigfoot and that he will you know traveled from the west coast here to michigan the reality is, no, there's not just one. There are, there's a whole culture of them mm -hmm. in different colors, different heights. And once that knowledge kind of sank in, then people started to take more detail when they would have a sighting. And now people understand that when you see one of these big, hairy, upright walking you know creatures there's some things to look for if it has a flat face 
no visible ears, broad shoulders, human-looking legs, where the knees bend, you know, where you think they will bend, and um, it has a, you know, large butt on it. That's your Bigfoot. But when we get reports that say, well, my Bigfoot was deformed, it looked really strange. It had a muzzle, it had these ears on it, it had a tail. Do Bigfoots have tails? The legs looked really weird on it. No, that's not a Bigfoot. That is a dog man. Whether you call it the dog man or a werewolf or, um, you know, a canine hybrid. Um, lots of people describe them as lots of different things. The way I classify it is dog man is the cryptid. It is always in canine form. It never goes from being a human being to an upright walking dog. It's always a canine. That's a dog man. A werewolf is something out of folklore, which is where a human being supposedly transforms into a werewolf on a full moon. A skin walker is a Native American shaman who has possession of either a coyote or a wolf or a canine of some sorts skin, and that's how they are able to transform. A Wendigo is something nobody wants to deal with because that's actually a parasitic paranormal entity that's looking for a human host. And if you become that human host, pretty much that's the end for you. You do not come back from being a Wendigo. So what so, is so, Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Is um, Dogman. It was first, one was first sighted in Michigan in 1887, I read. Yes. And they seem to be sighted in 10-year intervals, starting with so the ending with the That is going more along with the South American werewolf folklore. Uh, okay. Okay. Where it's, it's that seven or 10-year cycle. And it's always related to a seventh son, um, you know, born out of seven children who becomes that werewolf. The creature that I investigate, that I research, is a bipedal, most of the time, canine creature that can walk on its hind legs. But if it chooses to, it can walk on four legs which can be quite deceiving because they can walk very well uh, in either forms. But it is always a canine 24 seven. It doesn't matter what the moon cycle, you know, what the cycle of the moon is. It doesn't matter um, if it's summer, winter, spring, fall, doesn't matter, um, you know, where they live. They are always a canine. Right. Now, and is that to me is a dog man. Okay. Is the dogman only indigenous to Michigan? Or no. Oh, so around? Okay. no, there are there are reports all over the world of these upright walking canines. And to break it down or to make it even simpler, because people always ask me, oh, you know, is could there be a Bigfoot where I live? So here's the facts that you need to, you know, that everybody needs to understand. If you live in any areas where there are farms 
whether it's livestock farms or produce farms, whether it's a fruit tree orchard or a lot of family gardens, anywhere that there are deer, rabbits, any of those elements, you have the potential for a Bigfoot or a Dogman to be living in that area. Because the farms not only produce food as in livestock or vegetables or fruit, but that draws in the deer and the rabbits. And all of those items are on a Bigfoot or a Dogman's menu. They are omnivores. They are equal opportunity shoppers. Whatever is available is whatever is available. It doesn't matter if it is a, you know, newborn calf or sheep or goat, or if, if it's a chicken, if it's fresh apples that are being grown on the tree, if it's pumpkins, if it's deer grazing on corn in the field, if it's rabbits, you know, burrowing down into their nest. All of these are food items that they will take advantage of. Interesting. I, I want to read this question to you, Tammy, yeah. um, Christine. Now, she's actually going to be a guest on our show in, in June. She's a medium. Okay. So just putting that out there, I just noticed she's in the audience tonight watching. But it says, what do you make of the story that these cryptids are actually never caught because they're jumping between dimensions via portal and vortexes? So in my opinion, most Bigfoots, are residents of here of earth they are natural occurring species just like human beings just like apes chimpanzees orangutans they are part of the fossil record of earth now that doesn't mean that there are not extraterrestrial species out there that are very similar in appearance to a bigfoot or an ape but dogman i think is something different. I think that they are interdimensional and that they come and go from our world as they please. And mm -hmm. that's why we do not have very much evidence of them in the fossil record. We do have the dire wolf, but most paleontologists, most biologists would agree that the, di that the dire wolf was a quadruped, just like gray wolves, Mexican wolves, modern day canines. To adapt to be an upright walking species, that is either a taught behavior that is forced upon the animal, or it's a behavior that the animal has learned because of some type of injury or deformity that has, you know, um, gained, you know, onto their, their physical being. So we do see reports of canines walking upright. Normally, that's a taught behavior, but we also see bears who walk on their hind legs and can do so for quite a long distance. And the reason that they do this is, one, they usually have a spinal injury that makes it so that they can only walk that way. Two, they've realized that if I walk on my hind legs, I can reach high stuff. Mm -hmm. So, you know, those bird feeders with that really good sunflower seed in them. You know, those, those bee nests, you know, that, that makes that, you know, apple trees, you know, fruit trees makes it all easier to access. So 
Um, but for Dogman, I do think that they are interdimensional, whether they are alien, whether they are um, just living in another plane of existence, but somehow they have access to our world through those portals and they come here for whatever reasons. Um, and, you know, they're not going to be leaving anytime soon. So why do you think any of these, you know, especially Bigfoot, if they're, if they're here on earth, why, why are we not catching them? And we get tracks, we get footprints and things like that. And sometimes we catch them on film, but why do you think that we're not getting them? Because they are aware of us, just like we are aware of them, and they choose not to be caught. And people will say, well, how can that be? So I'm going to reference a true story. Um, this, this happened, I believe, in Maine or Massachusetts. There was a gentleman who just decided one day he didn't want to deal with society anymore. So he walked into the woods and found an area he wanted to live in and for the next 25 years nobody knew he was there to not fund his existence but to maintain his existence he would go at the um edges of society there was a local camp like boy scout camp that he would break into steal supplies from people's houses he would break into, steal supplies, take them back to his camp. And for 25 years, this gentleman went undetected. And it wasn't until people stumbled upon his encampment and realized he was there that it was exposed. So if a human being can go 25 years living out in the elements without anybody's detection mm -hmm. and still needing, you know, man-made things, you know, cans of food and firewood and, and stuff like that, leaving a, a, a footprint, so to speak, right. then an animal or a species that does not need those creature comforts can go undetected for as long as they choose. Do you think they have like a human intelligence? Yes. So they're not because like... You have to realize they are primates. Mm -hmm. Just like humans are primates. Just like chimpanzees and gorillas and apes are primates. And they all have a language. They all have a communication. They all have a knowledge. And they can all use tools. Now, they don't use tools like we use. You know, we, we are, of, of the primates, humans are the most highly developed because we do have a technology, we have um, science, we have humanities, we have all these different creature comforts at our disposals. But a Bigfoot will fare much better out in the wild than a human being will. Because if a human walks, you know, off of a path in the woods, chances are if they don't know those woods like the back of their hand, they're going to become a 411 report. Right. And the chances of them making it back to civilization, zero to none. Whereas a Bigfoot can walk up and down that trail off and on it all day long and be perfectly fine. 
Have you seen any of these creatures yourself? I've seen a Bigfoot. You and have I have seen Bigfoot. the track of a dog man. Now, how can you tell it's a track of a dog man? Because there's only two feet? Because it's only two feet and the size of the paw print is significantly bigger than any normal canine. Oh, okay. And the chances of somebody having a giant dog breed. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. In that particular location, um, and be walking it in a straight line, from one point to another without human tracks next to it, very slim to it's, none. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So, and, and the track that I found, um, the paw print itself, I, I wear a size 11 women's shoe wide. And this paw print was over half the size of my foot. Wow. And wider than my foot. In comparison, my miniature pincher who was with me, her paw print is about the size of a quarter. Her paw print fit in the toe print. Wow. Just one of the toe prints of this track. That's crazy. It's amazing. You have the you have the center part, which is the the pad of the foot, and then you've got usually you will have um four um, toe prints right right in front of that. So her little quarter, you know, quarter cent piece paw print fit inside one of these toes. That's how big this footprint was. And it went straight down a beach from the road all the way down the beach into Lake Michigan and wherever this animal came out at was nowhere near where those downward tracks were. Wow. The footprints were, I'm five foot eight. The foot tracks were wider than what I could comfortably step. Wow. And, and it the, was other thing, the other thing about this was these paw prints were 150 feet from a very popular rest stop up in the upper peninsula of Michigan um, because there's the rest stop, the, then there's a gazebo that you can walk down onto Lake Michigan's beach. And that's where I found the paw prints um, was on the beach. I told you not to stop there, Scott, when we were go we were driving. I said, I'm not stopping at that rest stop. You can just wait. <laughs> I knew something was up there. Well, this is funny. Um, it's on it's the lower it's on the lower off of Route Two. Um, and it's midway through um, Upper Michigan. It's um, we drove from Detroit Airport up to Sault Ste. Marie. Okay, then you were fine because you weren't anywhere um, in the UP. 
this would be like as you're going to Wisconsin. Oh, along okay. Route two. That way. So yeah. yeah, you were fine. <laughs> this is, this fine. is my city girl sense of sense of direction. That way. You were fine. Yeah. <laughs> Good to okay, next time we can stop, Scott. <laughs> Good idea. Were you looking? For, I mean, had someone called you or that was just spontaneous? No, no. I I was actually I was on my way up to this was last June. I was on my way up to the Menominee Bigfoot Conference to present there. And just that that's my favorite rest area to stop at because it is right on the beach. And I had to pee and my miniature pitcher had to be. So I was just walking her up and down the beach trying to get her to do her, her you know, business and came across these tracks. And so I took a picture of the tracks and didn't have anything with me for size reference. So I just, knowing the size of my foot, I put my foot right next to the, one of the paw prints and took a picture. Then I get to this conference and Ken Gearhart's there, Allison Jornland's there, Barnaby Jones is there. Um, and I'm asking everybody, so what do you guys think this is? And they're like, that's not a Bigfoot. I'm like, no, it's not. And they're like, it's not feline. That's canine. I said, uh-huh. Where was this at? And I'm like, Here's here's the you know coordinates of the the rest area. Wow, wow. that's very cool. Very cool. Um, for people who are listening and you want to go see if you can find tracks of your own, it is the rest area off of Route Two that is closest to Nubian Way up in uh, Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Yeah, and it's I'm, like 15 miles outside of the town. And are they? Are, you know, and would they be there again? I mean. Do you think they hang around the same areas or? Um, well, it, it chose to walk along that, you know, path or beach to go down to the water for something. So my guess is if it did it once, it probably does it, you know, more often than that. Most likely territorial then. Yeah. yeah. Wow. It, it knows it's, it knows it's territory. So, um, you know, like Michigan right there, that's a good fresh water source. Um, there might be fish in the area that it can catch, but probably just a good fresh water source for either drinking or bathing itself. And, or tourists um, going to pee. Yeah, just saying. Yeah, because that is a very popular, <laughs> that's a very popular rest area stop with 24-hour activity. So this animal was not afraid to, to wow. you know, be where humans are. Amazing. Is there any indication that they're dangerous? If you were to encounter one, I would say the dog man is more dangerous than the Bigfoot, but that doesn't mean go up and try to pet, you know, a Bigfoot. Right, right. You have to respect. <laughs> you have to respect other, you know, right. peoples, right. other animals, other creatures, because you never know what their intentions are of encountering you, because. Right. They 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 know that you are there way before you know that they are there, and chances are, there's a reason why. Scott, it's just like riding the T. You know, you just get into your own little space. Everything's fine. Nothing's happening around you. So there's a big foot over there. None of my beeswax. You know, I, I'm focused. <laughs> Julie yep. say to me, "All right, Scott, see you tomorrow," and I'll say, "Not if I see you." <laughs> and it's the same idea. <laughs> right. You don't Same. have to be last. First, you just don't need to be last. <laughs> right. There you go. What about 
what about Mothman? Is that a thing? So um, I have written a book on Mothman. Um, I, I have a, a, a book out currently, and it's called um, Flying Cryptids of the Midwest Beyond Mothman. Um, the flying cryptids are very interesting because it runs the gamut of a very humanoid type creature like Mothman that's, you know, winged to gargoyles, to prehistoric pterosaurs that people, you know, claim to still see that, uh, to this day, to a very natural looking but gigantic type bird called the Thunderbird. Hmm. You know, that we have at least one report where it's actually tried to pick up a, you know, 10 year old child and carry them off. So there are, you know, the interest, what I find interesting about the flying cryptids is they're really not segregated to one area of the world because they can fly. So they can go wherever they want. And when you think about the fact that monarch butterflies and hummingbirds can travel from Minnesota all the way down to New Mexico and how tiny they are and how little the, you know, they are, and they can make that huge long journey. And then you think of, okay, so something with a, a, you know, 14 foot wingspan, where could that travel to? Where can we actually show up in the world? Had, um, we've, yeah, these, we've, you know? we've had reported sightings of uh, flying cryptid or cryptids here um, in Massachusetts in the infamous Bridgewater Triangle. Yep. Yep. I, I find the Bridgewater Triangle very interesting um, because everybody everybody's heard about the Bermuda, Bermuda Triangle, but people don't realize there's triangles all over the world and mm -hmm. each one has its own weird yes. <laughs> weird yes activity like the great too. lake each one of yeah. the great lakes has a devil's triangle in them uh, and people okay. do not understand this and it's like no those those triangles are are fascinating they're very very different i did two home investigations within the bridgewater triangle and i've been doing this for 15 years strangest things we've ever seen i mean absolutely crazy stuff there do you think that there's some energy within them that helps bring forth these types of creatures, whether it's, you know, a flying cryptid or a Bigfoot or whatever it is? I, mean, I, I think there, I think there is. Um, and I haven't done too much research into a, a comparison between where the, the reported triangles are and where ley lines fall. Mm -hmm. whether they are, you know, connected to a ley line or stuff like that. But certainly they have so much weird phenomenon from cryptids to paranormal to UFO. Um, it's, you know, these are hotspots for all that different activity. And it seems to concentrate in these little areas. And people will be like, well, did you hear this? Did you know? It's like, no, tell me more. Tell me more. I want to hear more. You know, <laughs> it's fascinating. And yet there's a, there's a certain mystery to it because most people don't ever see them. We just know about them. They feel like, right. folklore, you know, right. so we don't know. Why don't we see this 
thing with a 14 foot wingspan flying over the Bridgewater Triangle? Why don't we see that? You know, and and these are the answers <clears throat> that we can't. You know, we just don't know. Well, I have to say, honestly, you know, being um, a, a sensitive uh, psychic empath, um, when we were on one of the home investigations, it was actually um, the home abutted the um, the swamp area. Okay. And we were standing outside and I just felt compelled to walk towards the swamp area, which is something I knew I shouldn't do to the point that one of my fellow investigators, Barbara had said to me, Julie, please don't go over there. And I stopped, I looked, I said, no, no, I'm not, I'm not going over there. But I could not stop staring into that swamp. There was some, some kind of energy mm-hmm. in that swamp that was attracting my attention and really compelling me because even after I said no, I took two more steps. Right, to, right. On, on, I was on the mushy part of the of the um, grass and Barbara just touched my arm and that sort of jilted me back a little bit like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And she said, let's go back into the garage. And we did, but there's, if you're, I, I think even you don't need to be a sensitive. It, there's just something so different about the energy in that area. There, you know, there is. And, you know, people don't understand that, you know, that whatever that is that draws, you know, you into them that people just do not realize. And they just willingly go. And whether it's, you know, whether it's a, uh, something like a Pukwudgie, like, you know, trying to, you know, pull Mm -hmm. you in, or it's the force of, you know, that location itself. Um, you know, people don't understand how easy it is to just go under the control of something like that. And unless you have people with you who are able to like distract you or, you know, pull you out of it. Um, you know, that, that is a very scary thing because, you know, that adds, you know, the 411 reports, there's a reason why we have those, you know, people just go missing and there's no explanation for why they were intelligent. They were, you know, communicating, they knew the path, they knew where they were going. And yet for whatever reason, they chose to deviate from the path or go into a location that they weren't supposed to go into. And then they're never seen again. Either. I remember when we first came to the the home, we were standing in the driveway and I looked at the rest of the team and I said, okay, guys, listen to me very carefully. That is the beginning of Huckamuck Swamp. Nobody go near the swamp. No one, please, no one go near the swamp. And they understood that. And they said, I knew not to go near the swamp. But we just happened to go around the side of the house because we were following some EMF um, and some noises and things. And I wasn't even aware. I was just standing there, just staring at something. I can't tell you today what it was. I Mm -hmm. can't tell you today why I even took those steps to go into the Huckamuck Swamp. I have no idea. I wasn't making a rational decision. I wasn't making any kind of decision at all. It was just almost like being compelled to do that until Barbara touched my arm. And that was kind of a, oh, okay. Oh my gosh, what am I doing? You know, that's paranormal too. I mean, 
you know, I can't think of her name now that lived in the, what's the SK Pierce mansion, but she was in that zone until she came out. And, and when she got out, you know, she had to be physically taken out and mm -hmm. just, it, it woke her up. She yes. realized what she was doing. Yes. Um, yes. Oh, Lillian. Lily, Lillian. Yes. Yes. Lillian. Yes. Lillian. yes. <laughs> Jody wrote the book. Yes. Um, it was uh, Lillian and Edwin. Yes. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. You know, you don't, you don't know these things. Sometimes people will think, well, why would they, you, you even choose to, to go that way or go into that door, open that door. Sometimes it just isn't a choice. It's just something yeah. that you're doing. You just, you, you become influenced by something yes. or just, you know, lose that connection to our reality for just a moment and it's just enough for something to take over and control you and you know i see i see it when i do paranormal investigations um, with a team of people will they want an experience but they quickly become under the influence of something else and i always carry peppermints with me and um, if I know that we have impasse in the group or a sensitive, you know, I will give them a peppermint. And when I tell you, eat the peppermint, there's a reason why. And I will usually squeeze their shoulders. I eat the peppermint, put it in your mouth now, or I'm doing it for you. And as soon as they get that peppermint in their mouth, boom, they have control again. Right. That makes sense. Absolute sense. Yeah, yes. It's just... It's just strange how right. how we can do that you know absolutely have yeah. you been have you been to the bridgewater triangle much have you investigated there? i have not the furthest i have made it in my adulthood to the east coast is vermont um and i was at lake champlain to the chris champ so um oh. that's as far east as i have made it so far but that doesn't mean that i won't be there at some point um Oh, I do absolutely. want to come to Massachusetts and, uh, you know, if anybody is doing any Paracons in Massachusetts and wants a really cool presenter, he Sam, <laughs> Sam. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. We, we should have the, um, I, I can offer a whole host of presentations. I'm just looking for a reason to come. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. There are a couple in Mass. What is what is Sam's? Is that what what's the name of his paracon? Uh, Mass Paracon is, is paracon, right? going to be the end of September down in um, Plymouth. In Plymouth, it's okay. I want to call that the Cape, but if you're a true New Englander, Plymouth isn't the Cape. You know, <laughs> you're not on the Cape until you go over the bridge. <laughs> but right. it's a beautiful area. Beautiful. Absolutely, yeah. Plymouth is beautiful. Yes. Yep. Uh, so uh, he's going to be there. I think I'm pretty sure it's the last weekend in September. I think yeah. so. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Right. And then there's also the Salem Paracon, which is, Ooh. I think that's maybe. That's in the fall, too. That would be, Charles is doing the Salem Paracon. Charles so he's uh, the same one that runs the Connecticut Paracon as well. Okay. Yes. He's doing that in, no I think it's the, the first or the second weekend in November. He's doing that. Okay. And that's a good one too. Yes, there's a lot of cool stuff there. Yeah. Nice. So you know, if you want to come to Massachusetts? I know a couple of people. I, I'm sure we, that we know we know people. We know yeah. people that would go with you to the Bridgewater Triangle and hang out. Okay. Awesome. Oh, we could call if you do. We could call Dave. 
Dave has Dave McCullough, our our Bigfoot hunter, has promised us a trip to go hunt Bigfoot with him. So that was awesome. Yes. What is his group? Squatchatusets. Squatchatusets. Yes. Oh, cool. And you have a magazine, Squatch GQ. Yes. So I own um, Squatch GQ magazine company, and. With my company, I offer several different magazine titles. There is, of course, Squatch GQ Magazine. There is Cryptozoology Digest. There is Into the Liminal Abyss Paranormal Magazine, which covers paranormal, ufology, high strangeness, haunted locations, all that good stuff. And then there is um, Dinosaurium Prehistoric Creatures Magazine, Rock Hound and Prospector Magazine, and I am trying to do a quarterly um, cookbook for dogs um, that is uh, the Hounds to um, <laughs> uh, Bone Arf Petite um, with my little, uh, my little planner, uh, Chef Connor, is um, uh, always on the cover. So, Oh, that's very cool. Yeah, all these magazines, where can we get them? All of my magazines, all of my books, all of the journals that I produce are all available on Amazon. Um, If you just Google or if you just type in either my name, Shatan Noir, or Squatch GQ, it's very important, just Squatch GQ magazine. That will bring up everything that I currently offer um, on Amazon, and that's available. So, And you have a ton of books, too. Um, I have the Mothman or, um, the flying creatures of the Midwest beyond Mothman book. I have Lake Monsters and Odd Creatures of the Great Lakes, um, book. I have Connor's cookbook. Um, so, um, and then there's a little children's book called, um, the marvelous Mrs. Ventures of Tegan Gray. That's my little min pin. And she, um, tries to capture Bigfoot in the book. So it's just a little kid's <laughs> book, but um, it, it's cute. And then um, I've got uh, field journals that I produce. And so there, there's all kinds of uh, interesting stuff on there. That's great. You, you would make a great, well, I mean, we've seen you speak, but you would make a great speaker at a, a any of these paracons. I'd love to oh, sit. Absolutely. In, yes. Oh, and then there's our friend, Mike Stevens, the U as I call him, the UFO guy. UFO. Oh, okay. He usually does the um, Exeter para- UFO um, paracon in Nex- oh. Exeter, New Hampshire. Okay. The end of August, beginning of September, right around there. And okay. that's, that's a good one. They actually, it takes place in downtown Exeter, New Hampshire, which is kind of a small place. And it okay. has an old fashioned bandstand in the center of it. It's oh, cool. it's actually pretty cool. It really is. Yeah, we have about five minutes left. So I just want to just say a couple of things. He is, um, by the way, he's got Granite Sky Services, which really is interesting yes. about him because they help people who have had abductions. Okay. And so he deals with a lot of that. Of course, uh, Betty and Barney Hill were up in New Hampshire, yes. far from here, uh, when they had their uh, their abduction years yes. ago. So it's the whole thing is fascinating, and you know that. Of course, the East Coast is full of weird stuff anyway. So, and my people, <laughs> as we can yeah. attest. <laughs> so I'd love for people to know how to. We know they can get your things on Amazon. And you have a website. 
right? Where they can find yeah. out you speak. Do you have yeah. your events on there and that kind of thing? Um, you can, if you just Google Shatan Noir, um, my name, it will bring up um, my website um, for social media. Just type in Shatan Noir and it will bring me up. Um, those are the best ways to find me is just to either search um, or Google for Shatan Noir. Perfect. And they can find out everything about you and where you're yep. going. Are you speaking in Michigan this year again? I, I've i got a conference in June, um, Chaos Con that I'm doing. And then um, I'm not uh, speaking at mid-Michigan this year, but I will be in 2024. And then I've got some out-of-state ones in September that I'm doing. Good for you. That's great. What was, we, we have a few minutes left. I just want to ask you, who was the one that you said you don't want to meet because they take over your soul? They take you over. That is the Windigo. 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 Windigos. Yes. What can you tell us about them? Have you? Do you have any so, experience with those at all? No, no. Um, and if I if I get any reports that even sounds remotely like it might be a Windigo, then I refer people to whatever area you're in that you're experiencing this. Find out who your local Native American tribes are and build a relationship with the shaman of that tribe because they're the only ones who are going to help you. Yeah, really. Because Wendigos are a part of Native American folklore and culture. They don't like to talk about the Wendigo. They don't like to talk about skinwalkers because if you talk about them, it draws that creature's attention yes. to you. Yes. Interesting. So I, I don't really like to um, uh, deal with any. I, I inform people about them, but your Wendigo is essentially a creature that becomes so insatiably hungry that they will go to whatever extremes they can to satisfy themselves and that can result in cannibalism it can yep. result in them chewing off their fingers their lips oh their nose God. um their own pets they just can never satisfy their hunger and so it is a paranormal parasite that just looks for a human host to take over so the human becomes it and, yes. and cannibalizes itself. Oh my God, that's frightening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's yeah. why I don't, I don't directly deal with them. Um, and I tell people, if you think you have a Wendigo situation, the best thing you can do for yourself is find a Native American shaman who is willing to work with you before it goes to an extreme. Right. Yeah, that's, that's mm -hmm. just, hor I mean, really horrifying think yeah. that that can that can happen you know yeah. i think in any investigation situation you know we all have to know when to draw the mm -hmm. line i draw the line at any non-human negative <clears throat> entity whatsoever right. i have nothing i will have nothing to do with it it's not my job i'm not here for right. that there there are people that are trained to take care of things yes like and there's you know like that and, and i can't i can't like stress this highly enough just because you're a paranormal investigator just because you're a cryptozoologist does not mean you have to take on every single case that's right 
Exactly. And if it and is something. I want you to come back for another visit <laughs> because I need, but this is me at the end of the show saying. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you so much for being here. I really hate to cut you off, but it has been such a pleasure having you on. I could have talked another hour. Chetan Noir. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Good night, everybody. We'll see you next week. Good night, everyone. Thank you, Shatan. You're welcome. Thank you. You have been listening to The Paranormal Project with Scott Allen and Julie Finn. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. While you're there, leave us a rating and review so others can find out about the show. Stay haunted and go out there and explore the paranormal. <laughs>